the life after high school podcast. What's up, everybody? Thanks for coming by. So, we have the amazing Ben Lievitt on the podcast. Now, Ben is an amazing social media like wizard, influencer, genius, you name it. He's got just, just, just shy by the end of the year. He will reach 100,000 subscribers. I will bet my house on it. He is an incredible businessman, incredible young entrepreneur, and just a visionary when it comes to everything creative, social media, and involving human connection. Very smart, intelligent young man. Cannot wait for you guys to hear this conversation. Hit subscribe. Enjoy the show. So Ben, dude, welcome uh, welcome to the podcast. I'm super, first and foremost, super excited to chat with you today. I'm grateful for your uh, time today, especially. I know you're a busy, busy guy, and uh, we'll dive into all the reasons why you're a pretty busy guy. But first, I want to tell you, I don't know if you remember this. So I went back to our conversation that we had um, like a while ago. I think it was in August of 2019. Wow. I actually reached out. Not so much to say, come do the podcast, but more just like, hey, man, I've been a student of your content for a bit now, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's giving me a bit of clarity on how to start the podcast properly and mm-hmm. like di- take it in a good direction. And then I was like, I want to have you on. But when I grow, like once it's once I've established good enough to kind of do you and your story justice. So now we're here three years later. So thanks for doing this, man. Of course, man. That's so funny. What a full circle moment. That's uh. That's amazing, dude. So that's the whole purpose why I make content is to help people do what they want to do. So it's amazing that you've done that. And now actually I have a rule when people reach out is that I'll always go on people's podcasts as long as they have at least 20 episodes. Cause it's showing that they're going to actually do it. They're going to maintain consistency and that stuff. Yeah. So happy to be here, man. Thanks, man. That's, uh, I think I, this will be episode 110. So quite a few. So a little bit awesome. over 20. So it's a deserving. There was a, I think it was you or there was like a podcast. There's like over 80% of podcasts don't go past three episodes, yeah. which just baffled my mind. But then I also remember trying to do a podcast with somebody and we quit after three episodes, just like the schedules didn't work. So I'm like, yeah. huh. Yeah, okay. I, there's so many reasons. I think a lot of it, and we can get into it within the episode, but there's so many reasons mm-hmm. why uh podcasts or any sort of online things fall through because there's there's so many ways for it to fall through yeah exactly so you have kind of an interesting story and i'd like to get into it um take us through kind of your transition port point sorry leaving post-secondary school like high school that era to Mm -hmm. where we are now and kind of bring us full circle and then uh, we'll dive into the thick of it yeah man absolutely so i have Definitely a crazy story. The more times I tell it, it feels like it's further and further removed from my actual life. But it's uh, there's definitely a lot of ways to, to go and a lot of lessons to be learned and, and shared. Yeah. So in high school, I was uh, your typical like jock. Like I, I play, I was the captain of the football team, uh, and that was like my whole life plan. Like if you had to spoke to 15 through 18, 19 year old Ben, you couldn't have told me that I wasn't going to the NFL. Like that's what I was going to do, and there's nothing that you could have said to stop that. And so. Uh, graduating, like I had a full life plan. Like, that was my plan was to play football until I physically couldn't anymore. And in your 18 year old invincible brain, you think that's going to be until you're like 40 or, or whatever. Yeah, 100%. And so I go to college to play football in Canada. Um, and, and then very quickly things changed for me because over the summer, I I was diagnosed with a concussion because I was playing rep football for my team, for my local city team because he was the coach of my college. And so my dad was like, Hey, well, if you're going to go here and he's going to be the coach of, of your college team and you better go and impress him in summer ball. So I went and played 100%. summer ball 
And the very last game I ever played for uh, my rep team that I played my, my whole life, I had a really bad concussion. Like there was a flash of white light. And when I came to, I couldn't see out of half of my left eye. The, the left the left side of my left eye, almost split down the middle, was ex- on. extremely, extremely blurry. Like, like it literally cut in half, like almost like a perfect line. That's crazy. And so I, 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 in typical meathead fashion, I stayed in for a few plays. And then I was just like, hey, I can't see. I, I, I'm hurting the team more than I'm helping them. So I'm going to get out of here. Mm-hmm. So I got out, and then obviously, of course, when I described that to the trainers, they wouldn't let me back in. And so that that definitely started university off in a note that I was not expecting it to go. Yeah. And so I still go and play college football for one year, but through being on the field, I just couldn't play the same way. And football is not a game that you can play without thinking. Sorry, with with thinking. You, you have to just instinctively go. Right. And so I was going, before I could get cleared, I had to go to this concussion specialist and I went through and I saw him for months. And this actually, oh my God, now that I say this, like it seems so far, far removed. But, uh, I, this is weird. I haven't talked about this in years. So I, I go and I, I see him and I go through all this protocol. I do all these things. He's like a world leading concussion specialist. And by the end of it, I'm ready to go back to university ball. And he says, Ben, based on everything you're saying to me right now, I can't not clear you. But he says, and I was like, oh, okay, cool. Why couldn't you just stop there? But he had sweet. He added one more line that kind of changed everything. Yeah. So he said, but if you were my son, there's no way you would ever play football again in your life. And I was like, why did you have to say that? Uh, so I go, yeah, he absolutely did me dirty there. Obviously, he's doing his job, so I respect it. But I go back and I play the the the, the remaining bit of the first year, so my, my freshman year. Mm-hmm. And it was in the off-season workouts. I just could just notice myself I wasn't playing the way that I, I, I normally did. And so I decided to to walk away. It was a really, really hard decision, but it made it a little less, less hard when I looked up how much CFL players make. And then I was like, okay, like this is what I'm working towards. I don't know if that's worth the toll it's putting on my body. And so if anyone's listening to this wow. outside, of, outside of Canada, we have our own professional league called the CFL. And there's just not the fan base that you, there is in the NFL. So not even close. Play. No, it's, it's a fraction. So they yeah. can't pay their players the same way. And so, that was my realistic ceiling would be the CFL at this point. I, I came to accept that. And so understanding that the realistic ceiling for me is probably a special teamer in the CFL. There, there just wasn't there yeah. versus risk reward. Ben, so what's I, uh, sorry to cut. I just want to interject with something. What do you think yeah. the base, uh, like what is the base salary? So they're a CFL player. They keep this very tight to the, to the chest because I yeah. think that it's kind of, it's not the best look when you realize how little money that a lot of them are making. So, but again, again, I don't know specifics, but a lot of my guys, my, my buddies that I played with, like I can watch a CFL game and every team, there's somebody I played with against like, or no personally. And so wow. a lot of them, they, some of them were even pitched in the first round. And so I had like candid conversations being like, well, what did, what did your rookie contract look like? And it is really low, especially for me. I wouldn't have been, I would have played linebacker or safety probably. Yeah. So, and so, and realistically, probably mostly special teams. So I probably would have been making, if you're a rookie on a low end salary, probably like 45 to 55 a year Canadian, I think. And so a lot of them do have an additional job. Yeah, of course, when you're, it's low when you think about the fact of what you're putting your body on the line for, right? So. That, that made it a little easier to walk away. I think the number at the time was around like 45 that I looked. And the guarantee that's like six, seven years ago. So I'm sure it's a lot higher now. Yeah, probably. But, but either way, it's not like, it's not the numbers you're thinking. Like, like if you are a practice squad guy in the NFL, you're making like 
10 to 20 times more than that. So oh, yeah, I can imagine. So it's a totally different game. So I, I decided to walk away as a freshman and it was really, really hard. I went through a very dark path because that was my whole life's plan was like, go yeah. play And then once that was done, which I was thinking was going to be 15 years down the line, then start building businesses, be an entrepreneur, all that stuff. Because I was always doing that as a kid growing up. I was really weird. I was into side hustles and whatnot before that was cool or mainstream. I was sick. So I was always, that was always the backup plan because I knew I, I needed a way to make money. And so I, I eventually was super depressed for a while because my whole identity was built around football. I no longer yeah. have. Now it got stripped away. Yeah. Completely. And so anybody who's gone through that, it's, it's, it's demoralizing because mm-hmm. I actually had this epiphany recently is that like confidence is a lot like real estate. It, it, it matters more what it's built on than like the feeling itself or like the, the building itself. Right. Cause it's like, I was built, my whole confidence yeah. was built upon something that I didn't own and I couldn't control, which was football. Right. Was a very, very rocky foundation, obviously. And so I, I, I left, I was left feeling very, very small. Mm-hmm. Which really, really sucked. Yeah, you don't know who you are. No clue. Stop. So eventually, I just went back to the drawing board and thought about what were things that made me feel a similar way that I felt when I made a big play in football. Oh, sick. Had a good game. It's a good way to do it. And that was a few things. It, it was like entertaining people. Like I, I've always been a showman of sorts. Like I was always the kid dancing or talking in front of an audience. Like I've always loved that. I've loved to try yeah. to bring joy to people's faces. That's been a huge thing I've loved. And I always love to help people to reach their goals. And then also I love building my own things. So I was like, Hey, entrepreneurship, let's go there now. So all it really did was expedite the path a few years. Mm-hmm. And then, so I started to do that and I actually started my first ever, I guess not my first ever company. Most of them were in high school. And then I started my first since football, I started a clothing brand with a friend. And so that was the next progression in terms of like after football, trying to say, okay, I'm no longer a football player. Mm-hmm. I'm, an, I'm an entrepreneur. And so then we can dive deeper into that. But that was the, the initial shift of high school Ben to college university Ben. Nice. Where'd you, um, where'd you go to university? So I went to school. Yeah. So I went to school at the university of Guelph. I made my decision entirely based off football because football was nice. I'm not being hyperbolic. It was my entire life. And so I got recruited in grade 11, which is junior year in the States. And, uh, most of the schools that recruited me, I just kind of kept talking with them. And then Guelph was the one that showed the most interest. So I went there. So in that time and you were like doing these side hustles and stuff and creating the business, what were you studying? Like what was your, uh, your program or your major? Yeah. So I almost don't like saying what my major was because then people think that it's a lot better than it is. So my, my major is marketing. So people look at me and they're like, wow. You're doing exactly what you studied. And that could not be farther from the truth. Like a university marketing degree is the most worthless degree ever. Like, like I, I can't, and, people, and then people are always like, oh, like, well, why do you say that? I was like, cause I lived it. Like, yeah, it, it I know. A total waste of money, completely and utterly. So that's what I studied was, it was marketing. So at what point when you got, um, when did you start making YouTube? And I want to I want to integrate that right now in the timeline because I think finding out when you I want to get to what made you shift to full time hmm. and stuff like that while still I can imagine working in a corporate position. So what took you? Sorry, what um, what was it like going into a corporate job and like when did YouTube kind of start in that space like in that time frame? How does it all work together? 
Yeah, so even YouTube is very tightly connected to football in a way. So in my second or third year of university, I wasn't playing on the school team anymore, but I was still playing in the intramurals. And so because I was like the football guy, I and it's completely my own fault, but I would put a lot of pressure on myself to ball out every intramural game, and I was taking it too intensely. And this one game, it was actually one of the first few games of the season, uh, it was the last play of the game. We were losing really, really badly because they had a lot more athletes than we did. And the previous play, I really felt like I could have burned this guy, but the quarterback didn't give me the ball. But on that play, I had hyperextended my left leg. But when you're, again, when you're a 19-year-old kid, you think you're invincible. Yeah, so the, you feel uh, invincible, yeah. You do, you do. And I always would, uh, my parents would always say that, you know, always be like, oh, that's BS, but then you live it. So the next play, I was like, I'm going to burn this guy. This last play of the game of a meaningless game in flag football. So, <laughs> I'm going to burn this guy. So Let's like, go. Let's that's always go. been my mentality. I'm like, I'm so I love it. Let's intense. go. Oh, and that's so, awesome. But it's very, I should never have done that because I had hyperextended my leg on the, on the last play. So what I do is I sprint. I burn him on a go route. I cleared this kid. Like I was like 10, 15 yards in front of him. But I also had, I didn't remember, I wasn't playing with a college quarterback anymore. I was playing with an intramural quarterback. So uh, he couldn't get me near the ball, which is my own fault. I was expecting him to throw 45, 50 yards. Like that's not, he can't do that. And so yeah. he throws it 30 and then my insane brain, I can't turn it off. I tried to come back for that ball. I'm sprinting full out, trying to come back. My knee exploded. Oh, no. So loud. People on the field thought that it was cleats on cleats. And I was like, man, there was no one within five, ten yards of me. That was just my knee. Come on. It was disgusting. It was so gross. And I knew instantaneously that it was a very serious injury right away. Like, just thinking about that moment, it's captured in my brain. It gives me chills because my life dramatically changed that day and it sucks. So that happens. I knew in my heart of hearts that it was some multiple things were torn. I was certain of that. I was like, this is too messed up because I have a very high pain tolerance and this was like excruciating. So I walk off the field eventually. Yeah. And it was the last play of the game too, which makes me even more. Ah. So I walk off the field. I'm stiff as all hell. I, I get to the car. I drive myself to the hospital. And then I was first introduced to the downsides of the Canadian healthcare system. So many times people are like, Oh, it's awesome. But it's it's really not. It's very very slow, and and my life has now been dramatically impaired because of that slow nature. Mm-hmm. And so I go, and they literally I sat in, in the merge for a long time, and they basically said, "There's nothing we can do. Go see a physiotherapist, and then get a recommendation for an MRI." So I go get it. I go I go to the physiotherapist. She does a few tests. And she's like, "No, I think you're good. Like, if you don't have that kind of pain, like it's maximum meniscus tear, or whatever." So okay, I go get an MRI, torn ACL. Shredded apart meniscus, like the worst that you could. Think of. And then I go to get a surgery, and yeah. another problem with the Canadian healthcare system. I had to wait six months. Come on, for surgery. For surgery, I had to wait six months because these guys are like, oh, like I'm just too busy right now. And so, granted, in retrospect, and if anyone's listening to this and you go through a traumatic injury, especially like a torn ACL, shop around for surgeons. My like this, this that was one of the worst things I've ever made in my life. But I was a 19, 20 year old kid. I didn't know. Yeah. If I could go back in time, I would have shopped around and found someone who could have got me in the next day and also who was more aligned with my goals. This guy probably is a great surgeon if you are just uh, an elderly person who wants to get back to walking, but I was a kid who wanted to get back to full sports and we were not in alignment. Yeah. All gas, just, no brakes, doc. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. And this guy Where's was not, not it. Not that. And so yeah. 
Oh, Over those six months while I'm waiting for surgery, I'm still living the life of a very social 20-year-old kid. I'm going out all the time. Yeah. I'm doing all this stuff. And there were multiple instances where I had more damage to my knee, more and more damage to my knee. But mm-hmm. while, I'm, while I'm doing all this, and I don't know that I'm screwing my, my walking ability, I, uh, I start looking up a ton of content around the situation. So that brings it full mm-hmm. circle to YouTube. And I was like, I was de- almost depressed by how little there was out there about the whole experience that I was about to go through. Yeah. And I had always wanted to build a following on social and I could see that the way that, that I was going to have to build the life businesses and dreams that I wanted to, was going to have to be through social because I didn't have a lot of money. I didn't have a lot of connections. So I was like, social media is the ultimate equalizer. I'm going to have to go for that. And so this whole experience I viewed as the universe pushing me into getting, creating content now. Yeah. So when, after I got my surgery, I started documenting the whole process. And that's how I got started with YouTube was making ACL videos. Brilliant. Yeah. I think I remember looking back at them at the time and being like, oh, like they look to do pretty well in the ratio of like views to subscribers. I was like, huh. They did crazy well, man. (laughs) Across the, I'd say eight to 10 ACL related videos I made, there's over a million views. And I've, I've since unlisted all of them because they're not in alignment with what I do at all anymore. Yeah. Uh, We can dive deeper into the strategy behind that, but. Like they did very, very well. And that really got me fired up about YouTube. So with YouTube and seeing how that kind of, how you can actually cater something and making a presence for yourself on social, especially in that way, because I love YouTube. It's like both as a consumer and a creator. It's just, it's my favorite thing. Like I think there's a space for long form and now there's a place for place for short term, short term, and then right in the middle too, right? Like there's something for everybody there. And I think there's just, oh, it's just, it's amazing. I could like talk your off about how much I love it, but I won't today. So the idea with like YouTube is, so what kind of, at what point did you start to realize that it was something that you could go, well, not so much full-time, but leave where you were working. Yeah. Yeah. So actually make an income. Yeah. So I started doing it while I was still in school. Yeah. And so I was very obsessed with, it was dumb. When I was in school, I knew I never wanted a corporate job, but I only mm-hmm. ever had to have a corporate job because I had student debt from school. Yeah. That's how so when I had all this time, because anybody who's in a business program that says they have a he- very heavy uh, like school demands or school schedule, they're lying to you. Because I-, I was there and it was not a big time commitment. It's not very hard. And 85 to 100% of the students are cheating on the, on the stuff. So it's like, you, you're never going to have more time than, than in your life than when you are in college or university. Yeah, and, sure. I, and, I, and I'm only speaking for business majors, like other programs, mm-hmm. I'm sure they're far more labor intensive, but I was there as a sophomore thinking like, I have so much free time on my hands. I better put this to good use in places where it can work beyond my time. So that's what Smart. really fascinated with me with, with YouTube was I can make a video today that can be making money, bringing me exposure far down the line. And that's why that's big reason why I chose YouTube because it can be highly targeted and it's really, really passive because it does the work for you. So I was obsessed with building leverage with the tight time that I had and the no money that I had. And so I saw YouTube is like the perfect solution for that. I think, um, I remember it being one of your first videos I remember watching was about podcasting and like how to get it started, but you started with like a time lapse. And then I think you were walking out of your house or the apartment you were in at the time. And like, you sat on your steps talking 
to the camera. And then it was very, very different from what I was used to seeing on the subjects. Like it wasn't person sitting down at a desk, like preaching information at me. So I'm curious, where did you kind of, how did your style develop from like that stage in the beginning to kind of where we are now? That's that's a great point. I've been on a ton of podcasts and they've never mentioned that specifically. So that's a very interesting point of view. But I think I was very influenced by the early days of YouTube. I have been such a consumer of YouTube since the Smosh days. For and anybody who's a big YouTube fan knows who Smosh is. And so with that, I just kind of grew who I consumed based on who I was at the time. And so right. I found Gary V in high school. So I was like super, super early on that oh, wow. like entrepreneurial based content. And so then I think him and then Casey Neistat were my two biggest influences. And I would say I've, for a bit of time, I definitely wanted to be Casey Neistat because who doesn't? Don't we all at one point? Exactly. Yeah. He's a badass, right? Yeah, and, so, he's sick. and I just thought about, okay, what were the elements that I loved about both of them? And so Gary, it was his mindset. And then also just his like no BS in terms of just like solution oriented mind constantly. Yeah. Right. And so I tried to encompass that in my own content in my own life. And then like why I, I did the more of the vloggy style for that video was because of Casey. And so I, Casey would brilliantly put in lessons and moments of, of teaching in these great stories that were also visually appealing. And so right. at the time I was like, okay, well, I'm going to try to do this. And you're dead on like that. I think the difference is why that video took off because at the time my channel had maybe a thousand subscribers, maybe. Yeah. And then that video was getting tens of thousands of views. It's now over 300 K I think. Yeah. It did some ridiculous number. Yeah. Like and, for what it was at the time. Yeah. And like, for a while, it was ranking number one for the word podcast and podcasting above which is crazy nuts for a guy who was like a 19 year old. Amazing dude. Crazy. Amazing. And so that I think was the biggest thing. And so from a YouTube perspective, why that whole worked so well is I think much like you said, it was a little different from what most people had seen in the subject, but mm -hmm. also I think it was enough. And because of that, it was enough to keep people watching, which gave me a little bit more watch time than a lot of the other options. Yeah. Which, push the video like crazy. So it was just trying yeah. to take little nuggets of the people that I really looked up to. And I think that's a huge hack is don't ever try to copy someone. I've fallen victim to that in the past. It's brought me no success, but mm -hmm. be influenced and inspired by other people and try to make your own combination of what you are using mm -hmm. the best points of everyone else. And with that, I think, is that a good way? Cause I'm always curious to ask anybody who's anything in a media space is, like people with real estate and stuff, this is kind of my cookie cutter question, but it's very, very specific to the person. So in your opinion, Ben, how do you, how does somebody stand out in a space that's as crowded as like YouTube? You can go just for the sense of media as itself. Like yeah. how do you stand out in a media space? It doesn't have to be YouTube necessarily, but just in general, unless it, unless there's different things that apply to different platforms to stand out. But I think as an overall thing, what have you, uh, what have you noticed? Yeah, I think there are some definite universal truths when it comes to standing out. And I think the biggest one is not trying to force anything. And also, as hard as it is, and it might even be cliche because I work, like I run an agency that's very performance driven. But if you are looking to build a long-term, sustainable, authentic community, you have to be doing things that feel right to you. Even if you don't think the viewership can be there. I think it's more about viewing everything from like as an investment portfolio. Mm -hmm. And so people have investments in their portfolio that they know won't bring them a ton of wealth, won't make them rich, but there's some purpose they play in the overall strategy. I think you should view content the exact same way and only create things that are truly authentic to who you are. 
And if you do that enough time, enough times, you're going to build a portfolio that is so authentic to you and is just genuine. And I think that's the biggest thing is that I almost, if you're a creator, I almost want you to stop consuming as much content and overemphasize on creating because it's impossible not to be really influenced by what you consume a lot. And right. I, I've noticed this so many times where like I'll even watch like prank YouTubers and then suddenly I want to be doing more like funny stuff. And I'm like, that's not me, but no. I've been influenced because I'm consuming so much. That's so, cool that you can like, that you're aware of that. Oh, instantly. Yeah. And, and I think wow. everyone has the same experience. So if you want to truly create, like what would it look like if you just made the video? And I think mm -hmm. so many people overthink this so much. Yeah, like, I'm guilty of it too. We all are, even myself included. And so that's why I'm actually starting a content ch like challenge with a few people to just get out of the way. Because if there's parameters where you have to create something, that's almost freeing because you can't overthink it because something yeah. has to be created. But I think that's the biggest tip I could possibly give. And I honestly think, like, I think there's a huge shift in social media coming where people are going to crave authenticity and community. And I think the, the, the days of a purely niche channel, if you are just like a solo creator, is going to diminish over time. I think there'll always be value in that if you're purely educational. But mm -hmm. I do think people are becoming more willing to see the holistic person in who you are. Yeah. And I also think the algorithms are catching up to this so that you won't be penalized if you touch a different subject. Whereas previously, when they were in the earlier days, you would. And mm -hmm. so now, now I think you're getting more of a, a leeway. And I think TikTok was the first push of this where every piece of content was viewed independently and they will sample it enough with different audiences where say you're like me and you talk mostly about social media and entrepreneurship, but say right. I was talking about something that was mental health. It may not pop right away, but right. they will keep experimenting that with different, different audience types. And I could have viral videos in like 12 different niches. Right. Right. Cause every piece of content is viewed independently. And I think that's more speaking to the holistic nature of human beings in nature in mm. nature. And that will be very freeing for creators. So I think the, this is a very long winded way of getting to be you do whatever feels natural and just keep doing that. Amazing. Amazing. I love that answer because I know that's kind of what it's easier said than done. Of course, of course, obviously. Right. Cause that's the way of like, Oh, it's being authentic and unique, but it's kind of smashing that like fear of actually pursuing what you want to do. And what I've noticed too, though, to your point is I think like six months ago or something, I started like, um, I started doing like a couple more solo episodes, just a handful of people like, oh, you should do more solo episodes and like talk about what's going on in your life. Hmm. And so I shared like some just like little things like stories, but like, oh, this is what's going on the last two weeks. This is like kind of why I felt a lot of anxiety. And then this is kind of what I did to balance it out. Not so much coming from a, I know yes. what to do and you should do it this way. I'm not an expert, Love but that. I'm an expert on what's worked you. for me, right? And so using what you said and then kind of pairing it with what's worked, I've noticed more engagement, like more YouTube comments, which are very rare, at least for like where I am in my journey with it. And so getting a lot of like likes and then a lot of comments and the views doing well, I'm like, huh. And then a lot more downloads. I was like, this is interesting. It's weird. I was it's, like, ah. Oh, it's okay. weird, but it's also so not weird because and this right. is what I think that is if, if anyone leaves with anything from this episode and they have any desire to do anything online is, is it, I would leave with this. We overthink the shit out of online marketing and social media. Mm -hmm. But if you were to break it down to swap algorithms, swap any of these buzzwords for just people and think about it like real people, who do you connect with the deepest in your life? Ooh. 
Why do you connect with them the deepest? Right. right? It's common interests, common struggles, vulnerability, and authenticity. Mm. How do you transfer that through content? That's really all this is, is, is like how do I sit down with someone and become their best friend in real life? All I have to do that is give them opportunities to see that those parts of me that yeah. I would do a person through a video. And so I, I think that the biggest thing that people can do for starting that is just like make a video. I think so many people feel like it's so, there's so much to it and they feel like they can't. Everyone can. If you have a phone in your hand, you can start telling a story, right? Yeah. And then, there's so much freeing nature in doing that. I think also, as much as I, as I say, like be authentic, it's really important for me to mention that that that's, that's, that's pretty pressure inducing. Mm -hmm. But what can eliminate that is that no one is being themselves on camera and that you become gradually more yourself and you discover yeah. yourself the more that you are on camera. Like I look back right. on my older videos and my voice sounded differently. Like I was just like putting on a character. Yeah. It's impossible to avoid. So like understanding that you're just getting your reps in is really important to start creating. It's huge, man. It's huge. And I love that you say that. And it's funny you gave an example because that was the first like 60 episodes of my podcast was exactly that. I was like, dude, I didn't get to like, I got to 85 and I'm like, oh, people are like, oh, you started to come like into your own and you're way more relaxed. It's like, yeah, it's easier to be. It's so easy to be myself. 100%. It's way easier. But people put this spin on it. Where it's like, oh, it's, you know, like being me is hard. It's like, no, just do you just say what you want to say. Like we all make mistakes when we speak. We all stumble over our words. We all like fumble. Like it happens. Just, you know, it's human and people need to connect with human things that we all do and i think that's it's very very important and very good point for you to mention so and that's incredible but what uh let's shift a little bit um so tell me about how you got started running your own uh, media company yeah so i think through all the weird stuff that i've done in terms of entrepreneurship i've always tried to figure out okay what is the actual problem that i have i think so many people especially on social they're chasing and doing things that actually aren't in alignment with the problem they're trying to solve. And I have this conversation with a lot of my clients and especially, so my, my, uh, my mom and my sister, I helped them start a YouTube channel nice. and, uh, and they really want to go full time on it, but they keep putting their efforts into things that can't get them what they actually need. And so for example, a lot of people think, Oh, I have an audience size problem. It's like, well, do you really have that problem or do you have a monetization and a money problem? Right. Mm. And so I saw very quickly that, there are people who are making a ton of money on social that don't have huge audiences if they know how to speak to the right people. And so I was wow. just thinking, okay, how do I make money through social media without a ton of time? But I had a decent amount of understanding. Mm -hmm. I started offering that as services to people that had active businesses that could turn that traffic into cash. And so I think that's the fastest way to go full time online is to have some sort of high ticket or just a service based business because you can literally make money out of thin air. Mm -hmm. Right. And so as a kid, when I was in, in uni, I had, to, I had to find a way to pay for my life because I didn't have anyone paying for my school or my life and I, I wanted to do everything. So I saw that that was the fastest way I could make a lot more money doing exactly what I already want to be doing. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. Didn't you get, I remember watching this uh, interview you did. I'm trying to, I don't remember the interview like points exactly, but you did it. Was it on CTV, CBC? Like it was some form of, it was in, uh, it was like you paid off your student loans by doing that, right? Like through YouTube essentially. Yeah. Is that, no, true? That, that is true. And that's, um, that's crazy. Cause 
I guess another thing I hadn't thought of for a long time, but so I got featured in an article in US News, basically be, about how students are using social media to pay off their stuff. Nice. And that thing got picked up by CTV radio. I think it was, so I went in live and did a radio conversation. Nice. That actually pissed me off big time because it was almost like a gotcha thing. No, how so? Yes. So I go in and I do the whole conversation. I was dropping bars. I was like saying, anyone can do this, like this, and I'm serious and sincere. Hot thing. takes, hot takes. I was, hot I was. Takes, yeah, I had, let's I had, go. Like, I had great answers for every one of their questions. And then Perfect. as soon as I'm done, they had a pre-recorded thing from an expert. And this lady was, I would say no shade, but complete shade to this lady. This lady was like a 55 to 60 year old lady who was a social media professor. I was like, how in the, what are you made doing? up? How do that you do made that's up. absolute bullshit? What did you do? Yeah. Read some studies? Like that's not going to teach you about social media. Also, I think people grossly underestimate how nuanced social media is. Like there's yeah, I think so, so many different things. So I go do that. And then right after that, this pre-recording of her just basically contradicting everything that I said. And I was like, that was really shady and slimy. Ah, and you couldn't like, you couldn't Rebuttal. follow back with it. No, no way. Like, literally like, right when Come she's on. going on, I'm talking to the host and they're like, kick me out. I'm like, can I, can I respond to that? They're like, no, 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 sorry. You gotta go. I was like, that was messed up, but whatever. Fuck, I'd be pissed. I'd be, pretty, I'd be pretty frustrated, dude, to be honest. Like I was because she didn't yeah. know what she was talking about. And she was basically like, and, and also and she, she wasn't in studio. Was she? No, no. Oh. Because they're like on camera, off camera. Let's debate this. Like, let's go. Hundred percent. Oh, no. She, she was looking at it purely from like an influencer standpoint, and there are different ways to make money. And there's two ways to get like rich from social media. It's right. either have highly targeted traffic that has a high ticket potential outcome, so like a high value service or a high value product. You mm -hmm. naturally you don't need to reach a lot of people if you're selling something very expensive with a high lifetime value of a customer. But if you're an entertainer or you're just like an audience, that's 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 your tool you need way bigger of an audience. So she was, which I would call more of like an influencer. There, she was only focusing on the influencer. I'm like, that's half of the story, but whatever. So I was still happy that I was on there. I was still pretty excited. Then I, I think it's all done. I'm like, this is really cool. I've been featured in like three press outlets at this point. And uh, it was cool. I then am at my internship, I think it was. And I get this, oh no, actually this is my first full-time job. And I get a, a random Facebook DM from this guy claiming to be the show manager for CBC News, like national news outlet. Let's go. He says, are you available for an interview tonight? And I'm thinking, this is so informal, there's no way this is real, but of course I'm gonna say yes. And so I didn't tell anyone until about, until I was in the waiting room, like the virtual green room. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't tell anyone. And so I took this interview that went, was broadcasted across the whole country, I took it in my $500 a month basement apartment, and uh, in my room that was tiny, which was also my office. And so I was on live news for like five to 10 minute segment explaining everything about social. And that was crazy because I already, I knew social and I understood it, but no one in my family did or none of my friends. And right. so the, it was legitimized to them once that happened. But, and then everyone was like, oh, like did that blow up your business and blow up your career? I was like, no, because they, they don't get it at all. So like, the irony is like, yeah. In their eyes, I had made it. In, real, in reality, this did nothing for, for my career. It was just cool to talk about. Oh, that's hilarious. Oh, man. So tell me about, it's uh, Bunny Media, right? Yeah. So, so yeah. yeah. Tell me about how that uh, that got started and that uh, take me through that uh, wave to where it is today. Yeah, absolutely. So Bunny Media was the name of the agency that I started in university, nice. which was basically offering social media services to uh, small to medium-sized businesses. 
And there's a ton of lessons that were learned in there. First, the, the name of the company was called Bunny Media because I was trying to start it with my friend whose name is Sunny. And so Ben and Sunny, Bunny. And, Love it. Uh, and then he didn't even end up doing it with me, <laughs> but, but I had already made the branding. So I was like, I'm going to roll with this. <laughs> so first rule, you don't need, more often than not, you don't need a business partner, especially if you guys don't have complementary skill sets. I tried to start businesses with people that were just like me, and that's an awful idea. Like, if, yeah. you, if two of you are good salesmen, that's the reason why you shouldn't start a business now, because you should, right? So make sure you have complementary uh, skill sets. That's the first lesson I learned there. Two smart. is make sure the customers that you are trying to sell to can pay you the money you want to make. And so I was trying to serve these small to medium-sized businesses, which everyone tries to sell to, but they can't afford to pay you what you want to make. And because whatever investment they're making in you is so much more to them than it would be to a bigger client. They're on your ass like crazy. And oh, they I can imagine. so much from you. And I remember thinking back to this, I was doing anything for anyone. Like if you were like, walk my dog, I was like, yeah, I got you. Like, you know what I'm saying? I was just willing to do whatever. And so that was also a lesson that I learned was the riches are in the niches or niches. Ooh. And so instead of doing general social media services, we eventually figured out that we got so much value for a very specific kind of client in a far less competitive space. So we started off general social media marketing, doing anything for anyone. And now at this point, Bunny Media specifically only does YouTube strategy for high ticket service providers. That's like all we do. Ooh, nice. Very, very, very specific. Mm. Nice. Interesting. Okay. So... I want to give you like a kind of an example question. I'm curious yeah. how you, uh, how you're going to answer it. So do you have um, a like strategy that's all depend? Like, is it the same strategy for everybody and you just tweak it? Or is it just like you consult with the person and then you base their strategy off their goals? Like how is like, what's your structure like for uh per client? Is it client per client? Or is it just like, we have a generic, and then we just manipulate certain things to fill uh, their needs. So the approach is the exact same. Strategy is going to be client specific or industry specific. Okay, but nice. realistically, like YouTube is YouTube. And so realistically, our thesis is that we're going to bring you more extremely targeted traffic that keeps coming in long after you pay us. Right. And so it makes it a pretty easy sell to people. Yeah. Because even if they're paying us a, a decent amount of money every month. How much time is that freeing up for them? And what would this many targeted people seeing your message be worth to you? And mm -hmm. almost, almost every, oh, anybody who, who signs with us, it makes financial sense, right? So uh, YouTube is actually a lot simpler than people make it out to be. As long as you know what you're trying to do, I think. So, and also you understand what your market size even looks like. Like we'll yeah. talk to some, some niche specialists that are generating a ton of money through YouTube. And they're like, oh, our goal is to get to this many followers or this many subscribers. And I'm just like, well, why? Yeah. You don't get necessarily more clients from getting more subscribers because the, naturally the wider your audience grows, the more broad it becomes. So if you have to start touching ah. subjects that are no, in no way related to your primary goal for being on YouTube, which is sales, mm -hmm. let's say, yeah. what is the point of that? It's pure vanity. Mm -hmm. and, and also like there are naturally like sizes of audiences. So if people like I'll talk about social media strategy and they'll look at my TikTok, let's say, and I only have 113,000 followers. And so they'll be like, what, what do you know? Why don't you have millions of followers? And it's just like, you're obviously so naive and ignorant because how many people are there that want to learn about high level marketing strategy? Not a lot. Right. And of course yeah. there are way more that want to see a girl shake her ass. 
right? Like, so yes, does it mean that she knows more about social media strategy than me? No, it's just the, the market size for that specific offering. Everybody wants to see that, right? So it's, yeah, you're catering to what people want to see and then it's like- It's apples you... and oranges. Yeah, yeah, it's not the same thing, but for for our agency, we take everyone through the same sets of steps and whatnot. And I think the biggest thing that we have to get them away from typically in the beginning is their desire for this specific number. And I always ask, I push back on it so many times. I'm like, what changes for you when you hit that number, realistically? Like, let's mm -hmm. say tomorrow I can give you this, but they're not your ideal customer. Does that help you in any way, shape or form? The answer is almost always no, which, which is a benefit to us because then the expectations are far more set. And then they start focusing on the numbers that actually matter, which is the bottom line of their business. Right. I think that's, uh, I think certain numbers though, I'm very, I'm similar probably as to what you are in terms of goal setting. Like I don't like having numbers based goals or basing my goals off of analytics just because it prevents me to have control over, like I can't really control those things, but I can control like daily habits. It's okay. Once a week, recorder, like once a day, do something to benefit the skill of a, like of what a, being a good podcast host in my mind would be, right? Like whether it be reading X amount of pages a day or, like listening to other people do it or researching the guest a bit more, stuff like that. And I've found certain numbers though, like I think a thousand and then I think a hundred thousand, a hundred thousand gives like that gravitas. But where I think the numbers are important is I think somebody in your shoes, it's more important than like the average bear just having a hundred thousand subscribers. Cause it gives gravitas to like, and like, I've done this. Like I have over a hundred, like I'm speaking from a place of I've done it. Right. Yeah. Like it's experience and stuff. So when people are like, Oh, how to get a million like subscribers on YouTube, I'm like, but you have like 1200, mm -hmm. you know, but if you're like how to get 50,000 views on video and you have like a hundred thousand subscribers, it's like the odds are I'm going to listen to you. Yeah. Right? So it gives hundred percent push. Yeah. And I think again, everything is, is case by case. Yeah. And I'm not ignorant to the fact that my following that I've established myself is like the primary driver for our business because I don't have to, sales calls aren't really sales calls for us, they're onboarding calls because because they've seen our stuff and there's not a lot of people that offer these kind of services. If they're dealing with us, they've, they've made up their mind. And especially with how we set up our, our like outreach process or people reaching out to us, basically we do vetting questions to see if they can afford it and all that stuff beforehand. So when we get on a call, it's not really a sales call, it's like, okay, they've made up their mind. Yeah. And a huge part of that is the social proof that I've built through the following. Interesting. Now, what, um, before we shift gears about getting into podcasting a bit, um, cause I really like want to pick your brain about this stuff, but, um, take me through and I know the answer, but I want to go a bit further. So I need to ask this question first. Yeah. What separates you from other creators or slash entrepreneurs? Hmm. That's a, a tough and a deep question. I think, I think what separates me is just, uh, the thirst that I have to learn and get better. And also uh, things, I think a lot of people get fixated in what's brought them success once. Right. And they fight to hold on to that even when it's not the same anymore. Mm -hmm. And so like, I have even like, a lot of friends that come to mind that have created and like, they've never really pivoted because they're so fixated in terms of like, I'm this guy. Yeah. And if you stay that guy forever, these things move too fast. You're eventually going to become irrelevant. And so mm. I think having the, the confidence in yourself to abandon what's previously brought you success is what separates me. And so even with my, my YouTube channel, like we're, we're changing things up quite a bit. Yeah. And, uh, that's, that's scary and daunting a little bit, but, uh, I think that's, that's one of the biggest things and being able to roll with that. So 
do you have a strategy for because you were asked that question i was watching a video about it the other day when you did a, it's kind of one of the questions that you my memory's weird with certain specifics like this mm-hmm. but you were asked that question by your videographer when you were i think it was in mexico doing yeah, your like yeah. your yeah. entrepreneur right yeah sick okay good awesome um and you were asked that question, but I wanted to know, like, do you have, like, after that question, I was like, do you have a, like, specific strategy for learning? And, like, do you have a specific way of, like, looking at what's coming? Or, like, how do you know what to get ready for before you, you, you want to be ahead so you don't fall behind? Mm-hmm. What do you do to get ahead and, like, stay there? I think it's just practicing presence in, t- in terms of anything that you consume. So, what I always call conscious consumption. So Mm -hmm. what are you consuming? How does it make you feel? And then zoom that out for people that are consuming content. Like what are they feeling? What are they saying? The answers are typically out there. And that's why I say I can feel a change in socials coming because I just feel that so many people are having the same problems, the same issues, the same desires from both sides, the consumers and the creators. So I think just like being present is, is a huge, huge thing. And also taking time to, to, to think, right? So when I go through and do this, if I didn't take the time to actually think about what that means and then how that can be applied to a better strategy moving forward, it would just be gone in the wind, right? But actually taking some time to be like, hey, well, what does this new thought that I have mean for how we can change things to do it better? Mm-hmm. I think that that's a, a massive point of uh, opportunity. Okay. Um, what I've really liked and kind of why I think I was I like steered towards your content in the beginning and like still now to this day um has mainly been and I might have mentioned this when we first chatted yesterday morning but you're very relatable like you do have that skill and I don't know if that's something that you've developed over time or but like I look at what you've done and and like you make it look like I'm like anybody can look at somebody with like hundreds of like somebody famous doing this who's already there telling you how to do it mm. it's hard to believe in them hard to believe them because they're there they're speaking from places like i have seven people on my team doing this so i'm like you don't actually hold a camera so but with you in your case i'm like i i was able to see the growth in you and see how you've always stayed not so much the same but like you've always been like your personality has always been like it's you which mm-hmm. I really admire. So I just want to share that with you. I've noticed it like everything's grown and like it's getting way better, the stuff you're producing, but like you're still you and I could still see that. Like you don't seem to be somebody who's like, I know everything. This mm-hmm. is what you should do. You're coming from like, this is what works. This is what, I, and that's why I really like, I really enjoy consuming what you're creating. So I just want to tell you that before we shift gears. So no, I, I appreciate that. Tremendously, it's always the goal. I think again, easier said than done. But yeah, I do think that is a bit of a skill that can be learned. And also, I saw that there quickly, and you learned this, is that there's more value in just being transparent with what you know and don't know than they're attempting people to that you know everything. And so, if yeah. you if you try to convince everyone that you know everything, you're you're bound to lose. Like that is a clear, direct route to failure. So I was like, I don't, I want to be doing this for a long period of time. So that's not a way that I can go. Oh God, no. So uh, I, I just. It's, it's, that's just a better route to play the game. And I think in terms of relatability, I think everyone is relatable if you're just being yourself. And I think that like, I grew up in a very, very diverse, like set of experiences and, and around a very di- diverse group of people, which definitely helped in my ability to relate 
to, to anyone or just to see how similar people's problems are mm-hmm. despite your, your financial situation, despite your demographics, anything like people, the human experience is quite universal. And so that's kind of a freeing thing when you realize that, yeah, you may have differences, but you probably have more similarities than you do differences. So just through being yourself, you're going to inevitably create connection when you open yourself up for it. Right. Ooh, I like that a lot. I like that a lot. I think that holds uh yeah, I think that holds true and it'll, show the test of time, right? And it'll stand for that. Now, switching gears a little bit, how did you initially get into podcasting? Mm-hmm. So I had this epiphany moment when I was 19 or 20, a third or fourth year university. I looked around at my friend group. I love them all to this day. I think they're all amazing people, but none of them wanted to do stuff I wanted to do. That's That's no problem. It was just the reality of the situation. I was always the kid who was who was like the weird guy doing hustles in school. And I wanted to keep doing that. And I used to try to bring my friends along with it, but I was forcing them to be something that they weren't and they didn't want to be. And then I'd get frustrated with them seeing like, Oh, why don't you want to be the same way I do? It's like, well, the same reason that I don't want to be like them. Right. It's just differences. Ah, yeah. And so I said, okay, I need friends that are going to be like me. And I want to get in these conversations and in these, these rooms with people who are way above me. And so I, I saw that the easiest route to do that was through a podcast. So I started it selfishly and selflessly because I wanted to have these conversations to share with, with myself and then anybody else who's in my situation. But I also thought like realistically about what it would look like if I just tried to reach out to these people randomly. And so this is the perfect way to capture this and drive the whole point home. If I reach out to someone I look up to who's very busy and say, can I pick your brain for an hour? The answer is 99% going to be no. Who's sick? Zero. Yeah. None. If I say, can I do this, highlight what's important to you, blah, 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 have you on my show, I now have a point of value. Even if it's not a ton of listeners, people love to talk about themselves. That's a point you, of value. You get it. Yeah. You get it. Yeah. You instantly get way more people that will say yes. And so that's why I started the show. It was to expand my network and, and, and meet more people. And it worked brilliantly. Have you ever, so first of all, you, sorry, when you say, when I hear all that, I'm here. I'm la- I'm like smirking because that's the exact like speech that I give, you know, the exact similar speech that I give to people. I'm like, if you reach out to somebody you admire or you look up to and you say, can I talk to you for an hour, pick your brain? They'd be like, no, there's no value there. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I want to hear your stories and share them with people who with like my audience, which small or big, there's chances are some of those people won't know the person I'm having on. So it's like, oh, cool. But they know me and they're like, oh, what's Ben do? Oh, like even just before I had a video call with a good friend of mine and he was like, oh, who you having on the show? And then I like sent him like a link to your stuff. He's like, dude, this is crazy. Like, thanks. And I'm like, no worries. So he's, he's an RMT. So like he runs his own small thing, his small practice. So stuff like that. I'm like, oh, cool. So that's kind of the idea. So it's cool when you say that. I'm like, oh, this guy gets it. Like Ben understands. And have you ever had, because more often than not, I've never, I've maybe once or twice had just like a flat out no. Mm -hmm. But have you, what was somebody's, what was your best and like worst response? And when I say best response, I mean, somebody who like, you've never expected to be like, yeah, let's do it, man. And then they either became your friend after, or they, uh, or they just did the show and knocked it out of the park. Yeah. So I think I tried to go above and beyond because I realized that I wasn't coming with a ton of value. So I just thought, how can I make this experience as valuable to them as possible? And so Mm. 
I would always craft each outreach message specific to what their current focus was and made it all about them as much as possible. And I would just like that for anyone. I then even took a step further where after I would send everyone a shirt that I had made from my, from my show, I said, this is when I was broke, man. So like it, it was a very poor financial decision, but I think the goodwill that compounded from it was well worth yeah. it. Because I met, actually, not to think about it, I've met some great business partners and my best friend ever from the podcast. So yes. money well spent. So, and then I would also send a personal written note, uh, it's like thanking them for being on the show and giving them some stickers. And then in that note, what I would also do is say like, could you please recommend someone else who would be great for the show that I should reach out to? Brilliant. That, that's a huge one. But to get back to the original question, the craziest one that I had was my Mikey Taylor. Have you ever heard of him? He's I think uh, so, yeah. Former yeah. skateboarder. Now he's huge in the financial world and real estate world. And right. Yeah. Okay. How I got him was just the timing of everything. And so to capture people, 95% of it is timing. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? And the placement of that timing. Right. And so I could see that he was like really struggling or like he was frustrated by the, the state of his Instagram following. And so I knew that if I reached out to him on Instagram, I'm likely to get a response of some kind. And then when I framed it around talking about this kind of stuff, and, and the fact that I actually had a, like a few followers on Instagram, I, I had a strong inclination that he would maybe be down, and he was, which I was insanely surprised by a bit. That's cool. That's probably my in my first ten episodes, which I couldn't oh, wow. believe. And so, and I actually, it's a funny, super funny story of, of that interview. So I wanted it to be perfect, but my house had no AC, and my fan was really loud. And you were in person, or you? No, I wish, I wish. It, oh. I'm in Guelph doing this a small town in canada so i yeah, can't you can't fly people out no no, no. God, no. <laughs> you're like not nah, dude shirts are one thing yeah i was going but... broke from the shirts <laughs> i remember looking at the shipping costs and i'm like damn that's that's like my food for the week but uh it's worth it i had to i really want to get this perfect and so i didn't turn on the, the fan and i took this call and i'm sweating buckets and i'm so excited about this my girlfriend at the time is like like laughing and filming me and whatnot in, in like a supportive way and uh sure. i just did everything i possibly could to to, to make it happen. And thinking back on it, it was so funny because I was sweating so hard. I'm sure he looked Jeez. at me and was like, what's wrong with you, man? Like, are you this nervous? But it, it, it all worked out. And in terms of like the worst response, it's probably just no response. Or some people said no, of course, and they yeah. give a solid reason. But you always, the, the fear lies in the anticipation. Like you realize yeah. pretty quickly that if they say no, your life changes not at all. And it's a no right now. It doesn't mean that it can't be a yes later. And so even, in fact, if you get a no right now, that means a dialogue has started. So then if you get to a place where you do have more leverage, more value to give them. Because you will get there. Yeah. If you keep them not. Yeah. yeah. Then, then they might be a yes down the line. Dude, I've had a, uh, what was it? So I have a cool guest I want to tell you about after in a sec, but yeah. what, um, what happened was I remember one time. So my, my fr- a good friend of mine, he's a crazy ultra like marathon swimmer. But he, uh, he, his whole thing is like fighting fear. Like that's his whole like idea of like the way he thinks about things. It's just like, yeah. well, what's the worst? I'm about to swim 350 kilometers around an island, like all 10 kilometers a day minimum for 30 days straight. I can ask out my yoga teacher, what's going to happen? And then, so based on that alone, being one of the only guys in there asks her out. And then she says, yes. And he's like, I mean, it's not a big deal to him right because he's like the anticipation of that is nothing in comparison right so anyways he had like a fear challenge for me and between a fear challenge for me and like um what was it yeah i think it was a fear challenge where it was like um 
reach out to like X amount of people a week mm-hmm. and just see if they'll come on the show. And just the goal is to be consistent. The goal is to like cater and like understand and just eventually get better at crafting these like personal messages to ask people for, you know, the most value thing, their time. Right. So in by doing that, I had a, the only person who actually said no was, um, this gentleman, Adam Creek, who three months late, three months after actually came on the show. Cause he was like, Hey man, I'm not doing any, like anything until the new year. Yeah. Like it was like November and he's like, yeah, I'm not doing anything for the new year, family time, whatever. He's like, hit me up in a couple months and uh, we'll try to make it happen. So I did. And it worked out. He's like Olympic gold medalist for like the Canada's rowing team, like in Beijing and stuff like really cool guy, like rode across the Atlantic, like all these cool stuff. And I had met him in like when I was in grade seven oh, wow. at, at this speech. So like for it to come full circle like that, I love those stories. Right. Like similar with uh, you for like three years ago, I was like, man, this is crazy. This is happening. So kind of visualizing that and going that way, I've never really found out. I never really found that like reaching out to people ever really is bad. But like you said, we build it up in our heads and there's like people will get back to me sooner than I expect, which is really weird. And then some people will get back to me like a month and a half later. I'm like, I don't even remember answering. Uh, The one I was going to tell you was that like I reached out to this guy. Um, You ever seen Blue Mountain State? You're a football guy. Yeah, of course. So You know, the big curly headed guy, Donnie. Yes, I do. The so he, guy, right? Yeah, he came on the show. No way. Yeah, man. So he came on the show. I had seen a couple of his uh, films that he had, like short films that he had been in. And then I had seen BMS and I was re-watching the show and a buddy of mine was like, it was the scene at the end where uh, in the final season where he breaks his leg, but they need him for the game. So like he just gets really high. And then um, at the at the end of it, uh, my buddy was like, dude, you should, have, you should get uh, this guy on the show. And then he goes, ah, he probably wouldn't do it. I was like, oh, yeah. Bet. And then I was like, yeah, bet. So then I reached out. And then like three and a half weeks later, he was like, I woke up one morning and he was like, hey, man, I love the idea of this. Let's uh, my wife's, you know, about to have the child, like hit me up in a couple of weeks uh, in the new year. And I was like, done. And then yeah, it was first one of the new year. That's so amazing. it was so, cool. Yeah, yeah. So stuff like that's interesting. It's huge, man. I love your buddy's challenge of like the, the, the fear challenge. And I also think that you can apply that to anything that you want to do in anything. life, like literally anything. And, and I think setting super realistic, <laughs> consistent, actionable things is, is a super powerful way to do that. And so I actually had the exact same premise when I was starting my podcast, I forced myself to reach out to 10 people a day. Nice. And that's a lot. It's, it is, but it wasn't too bad because what I would do is I kind of like a cheat code. I would send a voice message. And so that way I could save a lot of time. Smart. And, uh, I literally would just have that checked off. And I, another thing too is that I've tried to make this common practice is that, especially if you're an entrepreneur, like it can get very lonely and whatnot. And so whenever I was going through times where I felt down, I would also set a minimum of like three to five people within my own life that I would reach out to. So like a lot of people oh, wow. in my life that I haven't seen in like years, they'll always yeah. be like, like, it's crazy like, that you still send me the odd message here and there. And like, no one does that. And so I think like, that's why, and this is, sounds morbid, but if I were to die tomorrow, I think a lot of people would show up to my funeral because of those little messages. And I get more from it than they probably do because if you give out what you need, yeah. most, it comes back to you. So yeah, and tenfolds. That's another one practice that I would say do maybe, even if it's once a week, go through your contact list, your Instagram, whatever, and just send like an authentic message being like, what's new with you? I thought of you. How are you doing? That doesn't yeah. happen. People don't do that. So if you, check in. if you do that, 
you're loved quickly and you can yeah. build some awesome connections that way. What do I, I do something like that with my close friends. Like I'll message them and be like, like, hope you're having a good week. Just checking in with you. I've been like struggling. So I hope you guys like aren't or like whatever, or just, yeah, just like you said, like reach out, but I should do that to like, expand. not so much. Yeah. Like expand for sure. Like I've done that to people that I've had coworkers with in high school and especially oh, wow. like, because you're doing and especially because you're doing something that's out of the norm, like mm -hmm. oftentimes I will do this and they'll be like, oh, like, I actually thought about messaging you, but I see that you're so busy. And that's like, that's not real at all because I would love to have a relationship with as many people as possible, even For if sure. it's just like a supportive thing. And the conversation was only started because I started it and I felt so much better through doing that. So, you know, what? I'm going to start doing that more often again because like, yeah. that was a huge thing yeah, let's go. that got me through a bunch of shit. Nice. I think that's, oh, that's huge. I'm, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to start to do that more and expand it and not just keep it with like the four or five close friends. Like, yeah. Go to, honestly, and it's, it's easier to find these people than you think. Go to your IG, go to your Facebook. There's going to be people that you were once close with. And if, especially this is a huge moment too, because everyone just wants to feel like they're, they're a value, right? And yeah, hundred percent. A huge thing is if you can remember something that was important to them at one time and include that in the message, wow, yeah. that's like a game changer. And that's in life in general. Like I think everyone should read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Yeah. But like it, I would do that with people and they'd be like, holy shit, I can't believe you remember that. And then I'm just like, yeah, of course, blah, blah, blah. And then it makes for an instantly good conversation. Do you think like uh, how long ago did you read that book? I, re I try to read it every few years. Smart. For First time Smart. I ever read it was probably my second year of university. Do you, how, uh, how do you feel it's impacted you over the course of like time since you first read it? Like, you think it's helped that like tenfold? Cause I have heard multiple people say yeah. like, if I could pick one book or five books to read forever, that's one of them. It, it, I would agree with that because of the universal truth of people are people. Right. That's a recurring theme in this, in this episode. And so even if you're someone who is, socially skilled and i would say that i fall into that camp largely because of my parents like i i developed this skill very very young so it's great reminders for someone if you are like that and if you're not like that you can transform your life through adopting what you learn in that book because that can be and usually if you're not super socially skilled usually you have a ton of other gifts and other facets of life so then if you can throw that into your tool belt you can mm -hmm. code for success in anything you want interesting interesting i'm gonna read that book again i think yeah, yeah i read it a while ago and i just i want to buy it it's one that i want to buy and not yeah. like just borrow right yeah, yeah. it's more of a study manual but so if we were to get rid of or tomorrow ben you wake up and there's no more social media platforms yeah except one and you only could refer to one so there's no tiktok no instagram no whatever but you said no i want this one to live yeah. which one would that be the easiest answer to any question you've given me, YouTube. Perfect. Easy. Nice. Why YouTube? So many reasons. I think first of all is their understanding of the importance of creators. Uh, so like they really value them. That's why I started paying people, which really built the creator economy because they yeah. made something real and legitimate. Because even though for most YouTubers, it's not their primary revenue source, like from YouTube AdSense, it's still legitimized it as a potential career. So that, and I also think because the biggest reason is probably because they're owned by Google now. And Google is an absolute <laughs> juggernaut, meaning they can, they can survive through bad times and they can experiment like crazy. They spend billions of dollars a year at, at Google just on wild experiments because if one hits, it can be so astronomically profitable. Yeah. So that it'd, be, it'd be Google 
Oh, sorry, YouTube, 100%, which is basically nice. cool. Yeah, pretty, yeah, pretty well. Um, so which is, um, I know you've seen and you have a lot of growth strategies, I can imagine, for different social media platforms. Do you have like a best and worst growth strategy you've ever like come across? Yeah. So the, and the best one at this point is just consistency, I would say, and the understanding of, of the general, like your audience, who are you trying to reach and what value are you trying to provide them? I, I know that sounds cliche, but yeah. if you can get into the psychographics, like how they think the problems they have, all of those things, that's going to be the biggest growth hack. And so build like a very loose avatar and then think about how could you give an insane amount of value to like 10% of those people. And this is like Tim Ferriss's approach too. Yeah. Is if he can give his audience or 10% of the audience incredible value, he'll still make that, that video or that episode because of the goodwill that can come from that. So ah, I think smart. that and then also stop thinking, like just create more and don't worry about the numbers because the numbers will come once you learn and look at Mr. Beast. Mr. Beast is the perfect example of this. Yeah. A lot of people don't create because they're like, oh, well, what if I want to change it up later? This guy used to cut tables and count to 100,000. Yeah. And now he's going to be a billionaire making crazy content. So it's just creating is, is the ultimate equalizer. Like you need to just create more. I think the worst one is ironically, like I used to share a lot of like, growth hacks. And I think audiences have developed and the platforms have developed that any sort of growth hack is going to be so short-lived, it's not worth your time. Interesting. So, like, and that's why I've totally shifted my approach to social from like our yeah. own stuff is because that's why I don't really share like gimmicks and stuff like that anymore because they're so short lived and your time and energy is so much better put into universal truths, like creating more and becoming a better storyteller, like universal things. Mm-hmm. And then it is for focusing on a platform thing that may drive you a little bit of success. Like I think over index yeah. creating, you're always going to get more than riding a hack for a few seconds in the long run, in my opinion. Uh-huh. No, that makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Like, and chances are, if you're seeing this video, it's almost too late or it's on like the 18th hole or the back nine. hundred percent. Whereas like, if you had to put your attention into just creating content, then you yeah. would be in a better spot. Right. So, yeah, just create more and overemphasize on the development of your understanding of human psychology. That's going to help you win. Think audience, not algorithm. Yeah. Well said. Um, do you have, if you could, like, what's your favorite part about social media as a whole? Like over the time you've been in it, working with it and uh, advising, what is your, uh, what's your favorite part about it? The scalability and the democ- democratization of opportunity. That That's 100% what it is. And that's what drew me to it. Like a fly to shit. <laughs> like I was just so enamored by social because everything that I wanted to achieve in life you, social media was like jet fuel to achieve those things. And I remember being a kid telling my, my parents and all the stuff that I was going to be a big entrepreneur and I was going to speak on stages all over the world and all this stuff. And they were always like, that's not possible. And because at the time it wasn't for them, yeah. like, like uh, it was almost yeah. impossible. So like they weren't even giving me bad advice. It just, they were giving advice based on their, their situation. Mm-hmm. Back then. Right. Now you can literally do anything you want. And this, this spans so much beyond social, but it's the gateway to whatever you want to do. And the, whole, yeah. the whole game has been democratized. Like, and I love that so much. If you want to do anything, you absolutely can. Yeah. I mean, I, I just completely agree. It's the connection for me I've found has been 
it's forming connections for me. Like it's a very, very simple answer. Um, cause my experience with it is very, very different from yours, but the ability to form connections through it is like to this day, the craziest, the craziest thing I've ever seen. Like I just, I never would have met majority of these people. Like I have, like you said earlier, it's funny you mentioned, uh, like having, like, I want new friends, like new, like I love the people that I have in my life, but I want like maybe like better people to hang around, like better people to work out with better people to like go watch fights with or go like go watch football games with, right. Whatever you're in, whatever you're into. And then years later, like I had a buddy a couple months ago go like, Oh, how do you know this person? It's like, Oh, from the show. It's like, do you have any friends that you didn't met on the podcast? I'm like, I think my buddy Reese, I think, yes. I think Reese. Yeah. Reese. No, no. We've been friends for like eight years. Yeah. Or he's like, Oh, has he done the show? No. So I'm like, yeah. So friends of mine who haven't been on the show or chances are, they're friends of mine who are like long-term friends and everybody else is like, I've met through it who are like, whenever you go hang out with them and it could be like similar or different for you. But whenever I go hang out with those people that I've built just based off this like platform I've created is like, it's night and day. Like I want to be that much better just to provide value. Like I always want to be my best version when I'm with them. And it's just me doing that. And then my best version just elevates theirs and it just it kind of it's really cool right because it says something about you as well i used to think of it as like oh man like i'm lucky to be around with them like they're like no dude like we like hanging out with you mm. like you have good shit to say i'm like oh yeah i guess I never think of it that way right like i don't at least i'm like oh i have value for you guys too interesting yeah. it's weird yeah. to think of it that way no 100 percent. i think that that's a, a universal truth for social. And that would have been the third thing I would have said because yeah. everything just everything that I've mentioned about like why I love social is, is also amplified by the scale in which you can reach people. And there is so much value in aligning yourself with people that are in alignment with where you want to go and the person that you want to become. Yeah. And if you can provide a point of value in any way, shape or form, naturally you're going to get to meet way more of those people, which obviously you have through the show. And mm-hmm. I've had people DM me or one of the coolest things ever with TikTok is I'll see someone who I've looked up to for so long and then it'll show at the bottom follows you. And I'm Let's like, go. crazy. Let's man. go. Like, and there's been so many instances like that where I'm just like, this is insane. And that would never have ever happened yeah. until y- you, you put yourself out there. And I also think like everyone, everyone out there listening to this can provide some point of value to some people. We have a finite amount of time and a finite amount of experiences. So mm-hmm. just you being a fresh set of eyes or a different point of perspective can always provide value. And if you don't yeah. feel like you have any sort of value right now, there are a billion ways that you could go learn a skill, uh, gain access to a network that could for then free. make that happen. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Like, dude, it's crazy for free or paid anything. Like there's so much out there, man. It's it's insane. And like that was, I had the similar thing when you followed me. I was like, let's go. Like I've watched this guy for years. He's talking about it. Like, let's go. This is awesome. And like seeing different like famous directors or Olympic athletes. And I'm like, Okay. Or then like, they like your stuff. I'm like, man, like this, it doesn't matter, but it does a little, you know, like it, it's like, who cares about that? But it's like, I care about that. Like, it's cool, man. It's based off you as a person and like what you've built with an idea that I'm like, let's do this one day. hundred percent. Yeah. And no, it's come full circle without a doubt. And I'm, I'm very lucky where I always kind of viewed just people as people yeah. largely because of the upbringing that I had and stuff. But for a lot of people out there, they, they do put people or things on a pedestal and the only way to, to get that off is to desensitize yourself to that. And you very quickly learn that people are 
just people, right? Like a lot of people are, are where they are just because they did the things they did. And there's mm-hmm. nothing saying that you can't do equally special things. Oh, God, no. And it's to your point, like, that's why I think I've been able to not, I don't know how I've just not, like, I just don't care. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, cool. Like, it's easy to shrug it off. But like you said, man, it comes back to that. And I think you worded it way better than I have in the past. But like, it's understanding that they are just, they are just people. Like they all, like they all make mistakes. They're all like, they all have fear. And then especially what I like about the podcast platform and the long form is we're able to dive into like, oh, like we see all these cool things of you, like achieving these great feats, but like, let's go, let's dive deeper. Like what struggles did you face? Like, how'd you battle like the first, like the 20 seconds before like the gun goes off before your race? Like what goes through your head on game day? Like all that stuff. And then you realize, like you said, going back to that, they are just human. And like people are people we're all we all experience the same emotions and doing stuff like that and that's that's what i think is really really cool and i yeah. think that is a it's a cool thing to focus on so yeah man the, the human experience is quite universal and also people love to have a like a guy or a girl or a person for for everything right so if you yeah. become that in whatever it is that you like to do or want to become good at mm-hmm. you're gonna get thrown into conversations all the time like for me it's it's social and so I've had people that are so much smarter than me and so much cooler than me throw me into conversations with more people like that because I was the social guy, right? And then yeah. now I'm then connecting just on a human level because of that point of value that I brought and it's changed my life in profound ways. Oh, that's awesome. How often do you have, uh, do you have people coming up to you that you don't know being like, yo, I've, uh, other than social media, but like in person, do you have you ever like, what's it like? Or have you ever had it where people that like come up to you and be like, hey man, yo, you're that guy from this. Or like, yeah. you know, I watch your podcast. Has that ever happened? I'm sure it has. It's no? never happened in person. No. Uh, so I can, who was it? I think it was, was, it, was it Nate O'Brien? I think it was Nate O'Brien. He said that he's, he's uh, conference famous. And I would say that's like the only oh, cool. thing I can get myself is like, if I go to a conference related with this stuff, of course, I've had people be like, oh, I know you, I watch your stuff. Yeah. But I've never had it walking on the street. It's kind of amazing because I think even if I were to scale my following, tenfold which i plan to do in the next year or two. Oh, i'm sure i still think i'll have the same experience where i can just walk around and oh, you know, awesome. it's like, that'll be fine so uh yeah no i've never had that I, honestly i look forward to the days if that does ever happen because mm-hmm. the amount of connection and and a lot of the things that we're saying right now of like showing that people are just people okay. I, I know that in the responses that i've given people via say like instagram they've been like wow i can't believe you responded or whatever and i'm sure that was an aha moment that Ben's just a person. I'm just a person. And so if yeah. you do it in person, I think that would do wonders for someone's confidence to, to expand their own life. Yeah, I think so too. And just to kind of um, cap it all off, uh, do you have a piece of advice that stood with you through the test of time or like a quote or something or a lesson you may have learned that you learned early that's kind of just always, you, it's always prevalent? Yeah. Bad questions lead to bad answers. If you, want to improve, if you want to dramatically improve your life, start asking better questions. And so, that, and you can put that in sort of any framework you want. You could say broad questions lead to broad answers, right? So if, if you don't ask specific good questions, you're never going to get specific good answers. Ooh. And that's, Ooh. that's probably my most common reply to people now is yeah. They're like, what's your biggest point of advice? I'll say, ask better questions. <laughs> ask better questions. <laughs> it's kind of ironic because it's like a response to their bad question. Um, so like, and it's, it's so true because especially as you climb, people are so busy. They can only help you if you make it easy for them to do so. Right. 
Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And you've just found like that. Yeah. I guess over time, that's been something that's either become more noticeable or just like, Hey man, like if you would have asked a better question, like I people ask, it's so vague. You can ask a vague question. You ask, yeah. How's your, how, how's your day? I'm like, fucking ask me that. Think about how, and this translates to everything you want to achieve in life. If you everything. ask them a super specific personal question, they now show that it shows that you care more. Right. They're going to be far more likely to answer it. And then for, for me, like I so greatly appreciate when someone's done their own homework and like develop the school of, of common sense or like the, the lesson right. of common sense. If you can Google it or watch a YouTube video, you should not be asking someone that because that shows me that you're lazy mm-hmm. or that you don't have resourcefulness because I've right. been in a situation where I answered millions of questions for myself through research on my own. And so then if I get to a point where I know it's a genuine expert level question that I w- would only want to ask you. Mm-hmm. Then I know that, okay, I can go to Glenn and then I know that this is a fair, appropriate question and you're going to know I've done my research. Right. It's a way better exchange. Mm-hmm. There's something about like podcast questions that I found like it's very, I'll ask people questions in like real life, like off the platform and they'll be like, huh, okay, that's like thought of. I'm like, yeah, it's specific to you. Or what I found is when I'll ask, I used to have an issue where I would ask a general, I'd be worried about asking two general questions, but sometimes I think there's a time and place, right? Like, and I think in the long form content of, or platform, like of podcasting, I think I need, at least for me, I've noticed, and I could be wrong. You could do it differently, or you could have a different opinion on it, but I found that I need to ask surface level questions but it's not those questions I'm good at. It's the set follow-ups. And then we just start peeling back layers hmm. of like the conversational onion that allows me to get to like, okay, well, I understand that like now we know what separates you from other creators. I use that question, for example. I know that you've been asked that before, but it's like there's stuff that, or like how to feel when you swim across Lake Ontario. It's like, I want to ask a question about your answer. Not a, That's not my question, right? And it's kind of, it sets you up to give me something to like for the next one. It's almost, I'm thinking a step ahead with the questions. I'm thinking of like what your answer is going to be. I'm preparing for that question. Mm. That's how I deal with those. And that's how I get my like specific answers out of people. Sometimes it works great. Sometimes I don't. And they're just not good conversations, but you live and learn. So I think the point you're highlighting there, that is a brilliant point to highlight is the importance of understanding nuance in yeah. everything, like everything mm-hmm. in this world is so nuanced. And so your ability to have an appreciation for that gives you a huge advantage in achieving any goal that you have. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, Ben, dude, we're, uh, we're crushing time right now. So I want to know, uh, where can people find you? Uh, where can people reach out? Where can people connect? Where can people see your stuff, work with you, work for you, stuff yeah. like that? I'm um, rolling out the red carpet for you. So I appreciate fire it. Away, say your thing. Yeah, yeah. So uh, to work with us, again, you'd have to, for Bunny Media, you'd have to fall into the category of being a high ticket service provider. So like a coach, consultant, specialist, et cetera, who is looking to grow on YouTube. If you, that's what you're trying to do, we can absolutely help you. I would argue we are the best and one of the very few people that help you do that. Uh, and then we also just expanded uh, to a new brand of the business, which uh, I've never actually talked about publicly, but basically we, we help more brands specifically with uh, their short form content. So if you are a brand looking to level up on social, we do so either in a consulting capacity or done for you services or help you connect with creators. So um, that's how we, you can work with us. And then also, if you just want to reach out to me, Instagram is probably the best place. I've, n- I've been turning off the 
my ability to do one-on-one consult consultations, but I will be opening that up in the new year. Nice. And the best place to follow me, if you want to learn, probably TikTok or YouTube. If you want to connect with me, Instagram. But and nice. I, all three you can do. Do your thing. Awesome, dude. Awesome. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really grateful that you were able to give me your, so much of your time today. Dude, I'm very, very like, it's nice meeting you. It's nice okay. chatting and connecting with you. I'm stoked to meet you in person in the future. And I'm stoked. I'm very, very stoked for you to hit your hundred thousand on like before the end of the year. I yeah. know it. I know it. I was like, it's 98.9 today. I was like, oh yeah, he's got it. He's got it for like sure. all, all day. So I'm rooting for you, dude. I'm super excited to see what your, uh, what your business and how your career kind of takes full, like how it goes and how the, your socials and everything's take off. And yeah, dude, I'm just very, very impressed. And I admire you and your work a lot. And I'm very, very, uh, very, very grateful. And that's really, it's really all I got to say. So thank you very much. Hey man, I'm equally grateful. I, I appreciate the opportunity. And if I could leave one piece of advice for anyone listening to this is, Absolutely. you know what you want to do, you know where you want to go, but because it's so far away, you don't start. So what is the smallest possible action that you can take today that will get you the tiniest bit closer? If you do that every single day, you will wake up in your dream situation. Love it. Love it.